Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys, Lisa Stanley here, your Renta Yenta. And today I am so excited about our guests. I say guests plural. Uh, we've got actress, producer, and singer. Uh, Emily Kincaid is her name. She recently put on her producer hat and was one of the producers of the Netflix documentary Abducted in Plain Sight. Uh, not just produced it, but she did play a part in the documentary. Wait until you hear this story. If you have not seen this, you run to Netflix to watch this. And then we will actually be talking to the young girl, who's not so young anymore, named Jan, who was abducted in plain sight. Welcome, Emily, to what goes on around here. And boy, what goes on around here today is something fierce. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I mentioned uh, you're an actress, you're a producer, you're a singer. I think you're also doing some publicity for your own project. Um, So let's get into stuff about you before we get into stuff about the documentary so people could kind of understand who you are, who Emily Kincaid is. Okay. So you were born in Alabama. Yes. Raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Raised in Atlanta. Yeah, I moved when I was two, so I don't really remember Alabama very much. Siblings? Yes, I have one older sister. She's 14 years older than me. She still lives in Atlanta, has married two amazing boys. My parents are both in Roswell, which is right outside of Atlanta. Oh, the UFO place. <laughs> no, that, that's <laughs> oh, not different. That right, different, different, different. But I was going to say, it say really that. goes hand in hand here. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. It really would. <laughs> All right, so tell us a little bit about uh, growing up. I know you were a member of the Greater Atlanta Girls Choir. Yes. You got to perform at Carnegie Hall and the Royal Opera House of London. Yes. Is that when you caught the acting bug? I think I caught the acting bug out of the womb. Oh. Uh, my my mom and dad said I came out of her singing. You know? Really? And uh, I've been, you know, acting and singing since I was really little. I started taking professional voice lessons at age six um, and just kept going from there. I was always doing different productions. The first play I was in was Peter Pan, and my school told me I could not audition for Peter Pan, only Tinkerbell. And I... That was it. Oh, that was that was a fit. My yeah. parents got involved, and I got to audition for Peter Pan, and I got Peter Pan. Wow. <laughs> well, didn't they know Peter Pan was played by a woman? Right. Sandy Duncan was yeah. Peter Pan. Duh. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing that forever. I was really fortunate. Uh, growing up, I went to school on this at this like very hippie school called High Meadows on a farm, and my classes were in like old railroad cars and our theater. Did you have a milking cow class? We did not. (laughs) 
And it wasn't actually as Southern as you think. It, it was definitely more like a hippie vibe to the school. Um, but it all the teachers were amazing and very open, and they kind of let us do, you know, anything we wanted to do. So I really got to explore my singing and my writing and my acting, which was amazing. Wow, that's so great. So what was your first paid acting gig? Oh, um, God, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. Probably... <laughs> I did some, you know, small work on like One Life to Live when I was living in New York. Um, and, and when One Life to Live was still on the air. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and then when I moved here, I got to work twice with uh, the director, John Hillcote, who made Lawless and Triple Nine. And I did two music videos with him. I did one for the band Massive Attack and one for Bob Dylan. The Massive Attack one, I got to work with Kate Blanchett all day, which was wow. an absolute dream come true because she is my idol. Wow. You know, so that was amazing. Wow. Okay, so then when did producing come into play? Yeah, it's really this project. I oh, mean, really? Was this I, your first this project? Is, yeah, this is my first producing project. Wow. Which is, Score! <laughs> yeah, it's it's really unreal. Um, I had just moved to L.A. and I had a, a childhood friend, Stephanie Toby, who's the other producer on it. And she was working for the talent manager, Stacey Abrams, who knew Jan. Um, and she had uh, Jan and her mother, Marianne, wrote a book uh, entitled uh, Stolen Innocence. And um, that book, Stephanie found, um, Stacey Abrams gave that to her. And then Stephanie hooked me up also with a job with Stacey Abrams. But you guys worked together, you and Stephanie, right? Didn't you work at, didn't you meet at like a Manhattan Beach restaurant well, or something? She, we knew each other from Georgia. So oh. we grew up together. Her sister and I sang together and performed together okay. um, in that same choir. Yep. And then, um, you know, I started working for Stacy as well. We, you know, we found the book. Uh, Stephanie really wanted to make something about it and contacted Jan. Um, that's how we found our incredible director, Sky Borgman. By the way, I should mention it's an all female uh, cast, if you will. The writer, <laughs> the director, the producers, you were all women, yes? Yes, but our editor is a man, oh, James Darewood. <laughs> Well, he might as well be a woman. I mean, he, he's fantastic, and I love him to death, and, and we couldn't have made this film without him. But, um, yeah, we are a strong you know team of women, which I love. Okay, so let's—I'm going to let you tell the story because you told the story, and it turned out great. It's on Netflix. <laughs> it's called Abducted in Plain Sight. The only thing I'm going to say is it's a story about a young girl in the 70s named Jan Broberg, who we are going to speak with uh, later on in this podcast who was abducted not once, but twice by the same man. Uh, so I think she was 12 when it began? Yes. Okay, so yeah. please tell the people. Yeah, so um, Robert Birchtold um, moved into their community in Pocatello, Idaho, and you know he was married and had five kids, and uh, he met the family when Jan was only ten. So he spent you know about two years grooming the family, manipulating the family. He became best friends with the dad and, and capitalizing on their weaknesses. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They were. They went to the same church, um, you know, very heavy into the church community. So I think that that drove a lot of their decisions throughout. What is their the religion? Are they Catholic? Are they uh, Episcopalian? What are LDS. they? LDS. LDS. So um, he groomed the family for a couple of years, and then he 
said that he was going to go take Jan horseback riding and he drugged her and kidnapped her and ended up marrying her in Mexico um, and then came back. And well, wait a second. How is that legal, a 12-year-old getting married? Was that the legal age in Mexico? Well, I think it was, but you, you had to have the parents' consent. So at one point, he actually did call the parents and say, I want consent to marry Jan. And they said, you know, absolutely not. Um, so, you know, it, it was annulled and, and everything like that. But, you know, he was able to, you know, go through with it. And, you know, during that time, he was, you know... He had told Jan that they had been abducted by, you know, aliens, basically, and that, you know, in order to save the planet, she had had to complete a mission. They had to complete a mission, which meant that they had to have sex with each other. That Uh, was part of the mission. Right. To have a child together. Yes. And if not, you know, one of her sisters would go blind you know, her father would be killed and you know, so on. As you're telling this story, I'm looking at Anthony <laughs> Crystal, who's in the room here. And you guys are looking at this expression that you have on your face is like of non-belief, of disbelief. Yeah. This is a true story. She's not telling you like a made up story. And right? it does sound made up. Right? I mean, it really does. I'm just thinking guys are so damn creepy. Just insane. And and Crystal, I watched it last night. Yeah, and my reaction was, "Oh my God, I cannot believe this is all so real." But yeah, the, when I came in this morning to talk to Lisa, I said, "You know what? I used to give my parents so much hell for being so protective over me, and they literally trusted no one. Like yeah. they had to know someone for like over twenty years for me to." even think about going to hang out with them by right. myself when I was young, like before 15. For and sure. now I get it. Now I get why they were so freaked out because they saw all this happen. But but even in this particular case, the parents were involved, as we're going to get into with Emily in a minute. So that, I know, upsets you tremendously. That, <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to go through the TV to shake, oh, shake the crap out of them. I to felt get, sick to my yeah, stomach. It was really I, hard to watch, Emily. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, so, no, I understand. Yeah, it was really hard to watch. So basically, um, he takes her. They go to Mexico. They get married. But then he gets caught, correct? Yes. So then he does get caught. He comes back. Um and he goes to jail, though, for yeah, a minute. For a hot is it a little minute. Mexican jail? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, which is debatable if it's actually a good. Right. Like, but, you know, he told he had told Jan he knew that they were getting caught and were going to go back, you know, to her family. So he told Jan, you know, you cannot speak of any of this to anyone. Definitely not your parents. You cannot talk about the mission, which meant you can't talk about all the sex that I've been forcing upon you. Um, and if you do talk about it, then, like I said before, your father will die, your sister will go blind and a bunch of other terrible things will happen. So Jan, being 12 years old, was absolutely terrified. And you have to remember this was in the early 70s where people were obsessed with with UFOs and aliens and is it real? Did I really see a UFO? So to her, this was real. Of course, and she's 12. You know, so she's and, 12. and he's an adult who's friendly with the family. Now had the relationship with um, B, as he's called, um, start with the father and the mother after the first abduction or was it prior to the first abduction it was after that's what i thought it was after um i will say he took 
you know, it's hard when people watch the documentary. I think people get very, and I understand this, they get really upset because they're like, how did all this happen? It seems really fast, you know, in, you know, in, you know, the ideal world, we would have had more finances, we would have been able to do a huge, you know, mini series to be able to go into depth about a lot of the other things that we just didn't have time for. Um, but what but you the bottom line is, the parents also got into a relationship with him of a sexual nature. Yes. So he was sleeping with the mother. I don't think he was sleeping with the father, but there was a sexual relationship. Yes. And the daughter. Yes. What bothers, what bothers me the most, though, is that the the I guess what is hard for me to wrap my head around is the part of the mom being with him after he already kind of took her. And, you know, that's sketchy now. And she still does it anyway. That's yes. the, like if it was before that, that would be. It's hard for me to. Well, it's hard for anyone yeah. normal to wrap their head around this. But the mother trusted him and the mother didn't know what was going on with Jan, which you see in the documentary. The mother didn't really know any of that. And either did the father at that particular time, even though she didn't say it, though, she still was taken, you know. I, right. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. And I and I understand that that's hard to wrap your head around. And by the way, uh, for those of you um when you do watch this, this all happened organically with Emily and, and the parents, because originally the parents were going to talk about anything of this stuff, but the raw emotion overcame them and they just spit it out. Yeah, that that is true. Um, you know, we knew about the mother's affairs going into the interviews and uh, the father's we found out from. Um, FBI documents. Right. Let's talk about that. So here's the beauty of how this got uh, to be made and how come we're able to see and hear so much is because they got together with the original FBI agent, Pete Walsh, who was the original guy in, in the 70s. And that guy kept 1,500 pages of documents, court scripts, audio tapes, reel-to-reel recordings, which you used in the documentary, which yes. changed the whole entire shape of it, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a lot of material that we didn't know we were going to have. I mean, all of the recorded phone calls, you know, those are all real. You know, I think a lot of people watch it and they're like, you know... Sky did an incredible job. She's our director. She did an incredible job um, doing the recreations. We shot them on eight millimeters, so they kind of felt like old home movies. So they really fit seamlessly into the documentary. But then we also used a lot of real home movies, and we had a lot of tape recordings of the parents on the phone with B. You know, at it various the first time, times. Was it the first time they had heard it? The, the recordings themselves? Um, that I'm not sure about. Um, I don't know if they would have heard them if they were in the FBI's possession. That I don't know. But um, but they did hear them they as did. you were making the documentary. Yeah, 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 they definitely heard them. And they've seen the documentary, you know, numerous times. So I'm sure yeah. they have. Um, okay, so now they've got all of this stuff. They make this documentary. And like uh, Emily was saying, she was abducted. She was brought home. He was jailed in Mexico for a nanosecond. <laughs> he gets out. He comes back and he does it again. Tell us. Yes. And, it, you know, he waited two years to do it again. And uh, the and, you know, let me say, even after she was kidnapped within these two years, they still let Jan go on a private vacation with him. Um, well, not private. 
That's when their affairs started with him. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and that that was not in the original book. Both of the parents affairs were left out. So, you know, it was really shocking for us. And I think, you know, for for Bob, his admittance was, you know, probably really the first time he had ever really said this out loud. The father's name was Bob. Yes. The same as Robert. Yes. Wow. Okay, yes. that's creepy because the abductor's name is Robert was. He's dead, thank God. Robert uh, Birch told. And the father's name is Bob. Yep, Bob Broberg. Broberg. Ooh, the bees confused me. The There's bees so too. Many bees. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, the reason he's called B is, um, you know, Birchtold signed all of his love letters to Jan, you know, forever B, B at, which was our title before this. So we've actually had three titles. We we started out as Stolen Innocence, which was the book. And then uh, we loved that he signed his letters like that. Not loved, but, you know, it know was it mean. was pretty perfect for the movie. Um, we did that. And then when Netflix, you know, took it on, they thought it needed to be a little bit more, you know, to the point. Um, because forever be and seeing these two people on the cover, it's like, are they a father and daughter? You know, yeah. who are they? But our tagline was always abducted in plain sight, and that kind of was a, a better selling such title. a good title. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, it, it, is a great it title. draws such attention. Okay, so she gets abducted again, and this mm-hmm. time though, she's now brainwashed. She now thinks she's in love with him. Oh yes, right? Yeah. So she goes willingly. Yes, Tell and us. he he actually he 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 took her or she went willingly really and he enrolled her into a Catholic girls school in California. Uh, so nobody knew where under she, a, under a fake name. Yep, under a fake name and he had told them that he was, you know, undercover part of the you know cia and that um if anyone came to look for jan at this school they were a bad person and to tell him right away so he he manipulated even this catholic girls school you know they thought he was big time and that his daughter needed to be protected um so and the family had no idea that he had taken her this time and where did he get his money because that kind of a school costs money yeah who knows that's a good question i I mean as his brother said in in the doc he he sold cars out the yin yang so i think that you know he had a way of manipulating everyone i mean i have no idea where his money came from but i mean because he must have had some of it to put her in a private catholic school absolutely and keep her there for months you know so yeah for sure so okay so she's in the school and but that that's where she gets caught is at the school. Yes. So tell yes. everybody. Yeah. So uh, Pete Walsh, Welsh, Welsh, the um, FBI agent, he eventually, you know, he was kind of looking at different schools in the area, found this school. Um, they had found a connection to it. So he figured that she was there, went, they said she's not there. And then he's thought of checking under an alias. And of course, she was under, you know, a different name. Um, so then she got brought back. She returned and was on his side. Yes. And tried to make sure nothing happened to him. Yes, yes. I mean, at this point, she was very much in love with him and, you know, was very angry at her parents because she wanted to be with him. She wanted to get married. And remember, she also thought that this mission still had to be completed. So she still thought she needed to have a child with him, you know, by the age of 16 or her father would be killed and all these other terrible things would happen. So she knew she had to do this. She had to follow through with it. 
Was this in your in your uh, studies? Did you find that this was the first girl that he did this with, or were there others? There were others, and six, I believe, have come forward, and we um, we don't know really the details. I know that some of them were held for long periods of time. Um, we don't know really the details on the other women, and when we started making this doc, we you know. We reached out to, you know, members of B's family and they did not want to be involved. Understandably, they they had separated from him. They did not want to drudge up the past. And the same thing went with the victims. You did you know? try to talk to his five children, I imagine, right? Yeah, we reached out to the whole family. I and wonder just... if those children were molested by their father. I don't know. And that's a question that some people have brought up and asked. And I and I have no way of knowing that. Um yeah, well, obviously, because he's dead. You didn't get to yeah, talk to him no. for this. Uh... And I'm really glad I didn't because I, I don't know how I would have handled being in a room <laughs> with that man. You would have killed him and then he would have I, I probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did it affect you uh, in producing this? Because this is a, horrif- a horrifying story and you had yeah. to deal with it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. How did it affect you? Yeah, it was hard, um, I think, for all of us. Um you know, it's it's a really difficult subject matter. And, and let me say, I'm a huge true crime fan. You know, I watch everything. But watching people really talk and, and being in their moment, seeing them cry, shake, feel their emotions, that was something completely different. And it it stuck with all of us. You know, it has. Um, you know, I think about our editor, James Cood, who had to edit over and over again and rewatch all of this daily and I can't imagine what it was like for him to do that you know especially if he has kids yeah he does not but that's a good thing yeah (laughs) because that would have been really hard to have to watch over and over again as a parent um I do have one question actually Um, yeah do you have any not necessarily personal but anybody in your family or anybody that you know personally other than Jan Broberg that was sexually assaulted and how would that have affected you oh Yes. And unfortunately, I know a lot. Um, So that's another reason why this documentary was so important to me to take on. You know, I have I have friends and family members that have been sexually abused. Um, I think it is entirely far too common, you know, that this happens. And, you know, most of my friends that have some have admitted this stuff to me since the documentary came out i think that it's it's made people feel a little bit comfortable coming to me and saying like that resonated with me and this is why um but they also told me that they've never told anyone else or maybe they told their mother um and this is in one case and was told not to say anything and this also had to do with religion um this is so awful that religion plays a part in in stopping people from telling stories like this. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think there's, you know, did multiple they continue factors. Going, by the way, did Jan and her mom and her sisters and father continue going to that church after this? Yes, and they are still, you know, very devout members of. This sounds the like LDS a cult faith. more than a church. I'm just. I'm yeah, I understand that, you know, I'm I'm not a religious person. I didn't grow up religiously, so I think um I too see the cultish, you know, look to a lot of religious organizations, especially the LDS um 
faith. Um, but I those of you who don't know what that is, will you explain to them what the LDS? Do you know what that is? I mean, it's the Church of Latter Day Saints. Correct. Yeah. Um, which is Jesus Christ. And I don't think he would approve of this behavior. <laughs> yeah, <saying>. probably not. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing just floored me. And the timing of this is so unbelievable because now HBO has a documentary called, uh, is it Never Leaving Neverland or Leaving Neverland? Neverland. Or Leaving yeah. Neverland. The Michael Jackson the Michael Jackson documentary. Uh, documentary about his alleged pedophilia and i know that jan uh had made a comment about it recently to the press so when we get her on the phone i'm going to ask her about that as well but it just seems like your documentary might not just have been helpful um for jan and you and anyone else who because because i'm sure jan will tell us that it was therapeutic making the documentary um but i think it's also bringing a lot of of this issue to the forefront and maybe maybe they saw people saw your documentary and are now thinking time to come forward Absolutely. And that that's what we really hope will will happen from this. And and we we also hope that people will take a closer look to who is in their life. You know, that that best friend of the family that you may never think could do anything wrong, but is maybe displaying some unusual behaviors with your children. Maybe this documentary will spark that in your mind and you'll start to rethink well, your I can, relationships. I can say this. If if somebody says I'm having sleepless nights and I need to sleep with your 12-year-old daughter right. to get over it. Run! <laughs> Run! As fast as you can. As fast as you can. <laughs> I will say this about Abducted in uh, Plain Sight. It's already won 11 awards, including mm-hmm. Best Documentary Feature uh, Film. And before uh, Netflix was on board, it made the film festival rounds. So congratulations. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. And I do want to just note that the festivals we are so incredibly grateful for. I would tell every independent filmmaker that you should do them because they are what gave us our audience. And they are what gave us our fans and some of our best friends to this day. And, you know, it was Tallgrass Film Festival in Wichita, Kansas, which we never thought this would happen where we got our agents at CAA. Unbelievable. Yeah. So you just never know. You never know. Uh, Well, look, let's get uh, Jan on the phone because I'm dying to talk to her. Absolutely. And uh, see what Jan has to say. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, Jan. Thank you so, so much for coming on uh, my podcast and taking your little bit of time you have to uh, talk about this extraordinary ordeal uh, that you went through and probably still go through on certain days. Yes? Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let me do a formal introduction. We're on the phone with Jan Jan Broberg. Uh, She is the subject of Abducted 
in plain sight, uh, a Netflix documentary about your abductions, not not once, I say it with an S, abductions, but twice. So this is phenomenal. A, thank God you're alive and everything is okay. Um, yeah. What I'd like to just start, if you don't mind, Jen, is to ask you prior to meeting um, this uh, man, Birchtold, Robert Birchtold, or as you guys called him, B, um, how was your how is your memories of your childhood and and of, of how you were as a young child prior to? No, I had a really ideal childhood. I grew up in a small community where there were lots of neighborhood friends and Dad owned a flower shop. Mom was a stay-at-home mom, and we ate dinner together every night around the dinner table. My parents were uh, really good listeners, good communicators, and we experienced just unconditional love. So, honestly, my first 12 years of life were pretty idyllic. And you, st- how- and you had a good relationship with your sister prior to this as well, Yes. Oh, both of my sisters, and we're still very close to this day. Yeah, we're all very close. Okay, so let's fast forward to now uh, this guy, B, comes into the neighborhood, moves next door to you guys, uh, goes to church with you guys, becomes very friendly with the family. How does he work his way into your bedroom? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. He moved in, he was married, had five children of his own who happened to be the same ages as the three of us girls, so we all had a best friend. And over time, we would do family activities together, we would go, he had a boat, so we'd all go boating, he had snowmobiles, we'd do that, he had a trampoline, they had everything that we didn't have, and they were just uh, what looked like just a very affable, fun, friendly wonderful family and so that's where the grooming begins is that the amount of time that you spend with people and how much trust is built is equal to the the unbelievable part of this couldn't have happened this couldn't be him he would never hurt our daughter you have to imagine that you have your you know best friends or your brother and sister-in-law that you would sign paperwork like if we die They'll, they'll take our kids and raise our kids. That's how close we were as two families that, as you said, lived in the same neighborhood. We went to the movies together. We spent, you know, family nights together, cooked together. He picked us up for school and took all the kids to school in the morning. He'd open the back door and say, it's going to be a great day. And that's how we started our day. Were you, were you, was there, was there any part of you that ever felt like, hmm, this just isn't right? No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, not, not in the, in the beginning. I mean, after I was, you know, kidnapped and brainwashed, I mean, I felt that he also had been, you know, kidnapped, basically abducted, that he had to do this mission. I mean, it's a really intense an interesting, intricate story of brainwashing, mind control, manipulation, let me, and let the me, grooming that happened in the 
two and a half years was prior to all of that. Let so, me no, nothing ever happened. Let me say let me say this. Um, he told you a story because for those of you who have not seen, you better run to your Netflix to see this. It's unbelievable. He told you a story about you being an alien and about you having to complete this mission of bringing a child with him into this world. Is there? I, I know now uh, you don't believe any of that, but is there any part of you that still thinks hmm, maybe there was some truth to that? No, I, I know there's no truth to that. But what is interesting is that it wasn't coming from him. It was coming from, well, it was coming from him, let me reiterate, but through a little tape recorder, a little intercom box that he played in my ear when I woke up in the back of that moving motorhome, motorhome strapped to the bed. There was a box playing in my ear in a high-pitched monotone voice, and that voice was was what sounded like an alien voice telling me the things that you just described. And prior to that, part of the grooming was the early 70s were filled with science fiction movies, and you could take all the kids to the science fiction movies. There were always reports in the newspaper of UFOs, and he'd bring those over and throw them on the kitchen table. And wasn't talking to me necessarily. I was in the room, but he was talking to my parents. There's been another UFO sighting. Do you think there's life on other planets? There must be, but this is so weird. Do you think this is real? They would have those conversations around us, but not directly to me. So all of those little seeds were planted before I ended up in the back of a moving motorhome. And when I first saw him in the motorhome, uh, it was a couple of days into the motorhome uh, driving through the desert, and now I know we were headed to Mexico, he was lying on the sofa covered in blood as if he too had been taken, as if he too was like, where are we? What's happening? Oh, my word, I'm bleeding. What, what's happened? Oh. And I told him the story. Wow. I told him about the mission because the little box had been playing in my ear for two days. And it's pretty intense when you are sequestered, when your information is controlled and you've had all of the setup so perfectly laid out that a person will, especially a child, will fill in the blanks. They'll believe pretty much anything if you control their food, their sleep, when they can, you know, move around you're not kidding. Information. Oh, you poor yeah. thing. You poor thing. You must have spent years in therapy. I mean, you sound so normal. <laughs> well, I did have some really good counselors along the way. And one of the things I did uh, at age 30, I went to a program called the, uh, the Landmark Forum. And so that was really uh, a big let me ask you. I know about the. I know about the landmark forum. It, it, it because when I was, I guess in my twenties or thirties, I did. I did some of that. I think it was called mm-hmm. at the time Life Spring or Est. That's kind of a brainwashing yeah. thing, Jan. Well, it could be. Yeah, it, it, I just the thing that I experienced was really about being able to look at the things that had happened in your past and put them in the past, and then be able to just move forward with your life and create it newly on your own. It it didn't show up as a brainwashing thing at all to me. How, I mean, it was a really powerful experience. How how uh, was how is and was your relationship uh, with your mom? I, I think your dad just passed. I'm so sorry uh, to to hear he that. Um, but Thank how you. after after all of this has been over now, quite some time, your relationship with your parents, even now knowing that your parents were also involved in a relationship with B, you guys were able to to repair that. Yeah. We really were. And again, I think based on the, the perfect childhood we had for those 12 years, and as I came into my 20s and, you know, went through some of the grieving process of losing my 
my young teenage years and not being a normal girl that had, you know, crushes on boys and those sorts of things. And I, I, I really did go through the times where I could call or, or I was in college writing a life history paper and I was so angry with mom and then so angry with dad and then cried about why didn't you know more? How was this possible? And I had the kind of parents who just listened, acknowledged all of their mistakes, all of the things that they didn't see, and just said, oh, we're so sorry, our Janie. We would never, you know, if we had known, of course, you know, this never would have happened, and we just didn't know. And and then as I got older in my 20s, I realized that as I studied more about brainwashing and manipulation and sociopathic behavior, I realized, well, my parents were completely groomed as well during those two and a half years prior to the kidnapping. For sure. And especially my mother... You know, the, the the manipulator knows what to target, what weakness, or what what's wrong in their marriage. Oh, they don't have a great sex life. Let's target that. Figure out how to get that. You know, so I can get them over a barrel. So I think that if you you know had more time to explore or maybe read the book at some point, you can see how that grooming happens. And if we were that much smarter today in 2019, we may not have. 800,000 reported sexual abuse cases of children in our country, but we do. Mm. So there are lots of people who are still not seeing what is there to see because it's so subtle. I don't like to call it a red flag because that would be easy to see. They're little blue, little blue sound waves that go through your gut just for a brief second, like, ooh, something's off. But then you ignore them because the person that you had that gut reaction to is your best friend or is your brother or is your father or as your priest, or your minister, or your bishop. And that's why we, we, don't, we don't want to see it, first of all. So there's still a huge epidemic in this one area. And although my story is really fantastic and has all kinds of twists and turns, and it's, it's pretty crazy, on a, on a really microscopic level, thousands upon thousands of people will relate to this story because it happened to them by somebody that they knew, that they loved, that they trusted, or that their parents did, or it was a parent. And no one brought them to justice out of the darkness into the light. I mean, that's the message. So said. So well said. Well said. Uh, I have just a couple more questions for you. Uh, one is, how are you doing today now that you really have to relive all of this? Uh, first of all, you had to relive it doing the documentary. How was that? And second of all, now you have to go out there and do press for it. How is any of this coming back up, regurgitating? You know. I, because I've spent 25 years telling my story to everybody from a small book club to police departments to education uh, people that maybe would benefit from hearing this, that they might see a small sign that they wouldn't have seen otherwise, it's like I have been able to therapeutically heal from the trauma. Yeah. I still, of course, do have emotions and sometimes they overcome me and I cry or I just get exhausted and it is it is true that you do relive it to some degree but I really have the ability to see what happened and to have it be sitting over there learn from it help others from it and not let it affect my present life or my my future and that's something that I am really grateful for and because I had such a supportive family and such a loving family you know, I 
I really was able to heal and I was able to It's really to tell unbelievable. Story. It's unbelievable. Do you ever dream about him? I have before. Yeah, unfortunately, I have. I've woke, woke up before in a cold sweat and thought, "Oh, oh good, he's not here." <laughs> did you did you yeah. ever speak to him after the second abduction and after he was put away? Did you ever speak to him again? Well, two times while I was in college, he found whatever apartment I was living in and where I was because he called me and the one time it was because he said on the phone and then I, of course I hung up on him and then shook and cried and found my sisters and, and said, oh my gosh, how, how could he know where I am? And he said, I'm getting married and I need your permission to marry this woman. What? I need you to sign some papers. Yeah. I mean, talk about absolutely, completely sick. Well, the good news is he's time. dead. The good news is he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> True. So, and, yes, in that and, way. And then when I faced him in court, when he showed up at the conference I was giving in a van with a gun, and I had no idea that that could ever happen. I just, it was just impossible. And uh, it did. And then I filed a stocking injunction, which he contested. So I had to go to court and have him sitting. Unbelievable. Feet away from me. Now, last question. Um, I I am assuming you're dedicated your life to this now. And tell us what you're doing now. So, yeah, I have uh, speaking engagements that I am actually on my way to one right now. And that's kind of the, the next step. I also am hopeful that there will be more um, more uh, episodes perhaps that come through a docu-series or some other kind of television series because the, the thing that I really feel people still don't understand is the grooming because they're having a hard time putting themselves in my parents' shoes. And I'm like, that's because you don't understand what what grooming feels and looks like. And it's happening to, to you probably because you'll find out 10 years from now that there was a child that you knew and the person that perpetrated on them, you also knew. You just don't know it because if you're being manipulated or groomed, you're unaware of that. I saw so, I saw that you made a, a comment about this Michael Jackson uh, Neverland documentary mm-hmm. on HBO and you, you felt uh, a kindred to those children. Yes, I did. And, and I really love to use that example now that it's out. I remember telling my mom years ago, I said, you know, I love Michael Jackson. I love his music, but mom, he's a pedophile. And, he's, and, and, and people don't see it. They don't see it. He's such a bright star that they can't see through the, the stardom and see the reality because all the signs are there, all of it. It's, it's public knowledge that he has young boys and they sleep in his bed and that they go to his Neverland. And I'm like, and nobody wants to see it. That's why they don't see it. And that's the same thing on, a, again, a microscopic level in a family. You don't want to see that it's someone in your family. And when the child even might attempt to tell you in some way, you're like, well, nothing happened, but we just won't let you stay it. Because you know, it'll reflect board. because it reflects on them that they're on a the bad family. parent. Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, so I that, understand. Yeah, it, it it's really it's a it's the final frontier. People have to talk about this and they have to come out from the dark shadows and corners and even if it happened to them, you know, fifty years ago, to say it out loud and to bring the perpetrators out of those dark corners as well is 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 freedom. And it's hard. 
I bet it is. <laughs> and it's hard. Well, Jan, two things yeah. I want to say. Thank you so, so much uh, for bringing this story to life. I want to thank Emily for making this documentary along with an all-female uh, producing writing team. Uh, really brave. You are a brave, awesome. brave woman. And uh, I, I have to say, when I watched this uh, uh, documentary, I was jumping off my couch uh, just yeah. couldn't believe what I was witnessing, what I was hearing, and the fact that you actually went through it all and are here to talk about it and are bravely speaking out on your behalf and others. I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, Lisa. It was an honor to, to be on your podcast, and I hope that it starts many millions of conversations that otherwise would not have happened. That's where it all begins. Ditto. And thanks, Jan. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, Emily, that was phenomenal. Yeah. She sounds so normal. Yeah, she really does. She's really um, maintained a healthy mental state through all of this somehow. And I didn't ask her, but I do know she does have a son. Yes. And and I, I should have asked her, but I didn't want to uh, delve into her family too much. Um, he must know, of course, everything that went on with oh, his yes. mother. Yes. How Jan- old of a child is he? Um, teenage no no he's oh he's an older he's he's an adult yeah um and yes she's you know maintained a really open and healthy relationship with him and all of her nieces and nephews as well um just letting them know that if anything feels strange that they can always come to her and to keep an open dialogue about everything well i am so grateful that you got a hold of this project and that you guys made this project uh what's next for you Oh, um, well, uh, the publicity doesn't stop. So um, right now I'm helping Jan handle all of her many incoming press requests and, you know, TV appearance requests. Um, I'm taking on a couple other small producing jobs and acting jobs as well. And I don't know. We'll see. I mean, people are asking for a part two or a, I'm a, a three-part you. series of, of this doc. So who knows what's next? You all know? right. Give out your social media so everybody could find you and <laughs> where they can find Abducted in Plain Sight. Okay. So everything for Abducted in Plain Sight is under at Abducted Doc. And my social media is at Kingdom Kincaid. This has been unbelievable. I mean, honestly, the most interesting stuff. I mean, I'm obsessed with true crime. What can I tell you? If I didn't <laughs> do you so what much, I, if I didn't do what I did uh, in real life now, I would be a profiler for sure. I, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Emily. Okay, bye, Lisa. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.